There's a place some of us go each fall. A place where the ring of a bell filters through the covers and hurried shouts of bird up bring everybody to attention. A place where the playful puppies around our house are transformed here to driven bird finders. And where there is confidence in the slow pace of the silver-muzzled old veterans. Where our friends tell the same old stories each year, and none of us seem to mind. Where great shots are forgotten, and epic misses never fade. Where an old gun will have a story to tell, if only it could speak to us. Where all the good seats are claimed by the dogs. If you have a camp, you know these things all too well. If you don't, well, you're always welcome here. So pull up a chair, tell us about your favorite gunner dog, and we'll admire the birds together and talk the night away by the fire. Welcome to Bird Camp. Like always, let's first thank the Patreons. Thank you guys for those donations each month. It's not too much, but it's enough to help out around here with things going on, as well as, uh, I do think I need a third microphone just for some of these round tables, but uh, I haven't started shopping yet. But besides that, again, thank you, and I would like to introduce that we will be having a Patreon giveaway. I've been accumulating, I have a problem with accumulating things, so I have a a couple of things already in mind around here that are kind of stockpiled. I'll probably grab a book or two out of my small but quality library and a few other sporting kind of things. I'll put together a prize pack and uh, this would be for any current or any new Patreons that sign up before September 15th. I will choose that day or maybe I'll choose really, really late the day before because that's opening day grouse season the 15th and Woodcock now as well, but uh, I think I'll put together a prize pack and we'll do a random drawing for those of you that are on Patreon and supporting the podcast, and I will find something I can give back to uh, the winner there. Kind of looking kind of at my July schedule, it's already of course gone, and uh, kind of as a heads up, I know for a long time I maintained a show a week. I think I'm going to kind of be backing that off a little bit in the summer months, and then trying to pick it back up again as people are less busy in the winter uh, just to kind of keep things scheduled well. But trying to hit that 40 episodes a year uh, sort of rate. More more be fine. I like more. I like talking to people. But uh, with that in mind as well, too, if you have an idea for a podcast guest, one of those hunting old timers that you love to sit down and talk to, or if... Uh, who knows, somebody who got you into hunting that you'd like to sit down with and, and have a conversation about how you got into it or, or what you've learned, you know, or how you want to begin uh, passing it on, any of those things, uh, hit up the podcast here at mi.birdcamp at gmail.com. Or for anything else, really, you can contact me there or Joe Swanky on Facebook. Also, Bird Camp has a Facebook page as well. Just, uh, it's under bird camp. But as well, too, the, the things to do that are free, we'll end with those. The rate, review, like, and share don't cost you a thing, but it does mean a lot to the podcast. 
and uh, gets it in front of people who hopefully uh, learn something from it, become better bird hunters, and uh, appreciate what we have here as bird hunters. So with that, uh, we'll get into the podcast here. This one's a, a family affair. This is with Assistant Coach Andy. So on to the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Bird Camp Podcast. I am your host, Joe Schwanke, and just like this podcast started a few years ago, these are two brothers from Michigan. I am with assistant coach Andy Schwanke, and uh, yes, it's, it's cliche-ish, it's overused, it's overdone, it is entirely worn out, and it is now a dead horse, but yeah, let's talk about guns. So, with that in mind, here we go. Anyway, I'm sitting here with Coach Andy. And we're talking because, well, this all started because, well, we used to argue about this all the time. So why not put a microphone in front of him where he's now going to be calm, collected, sober, and, uh, well, ish sober. And then, uh, yeah, and so then we kind of go over these conversations again, only he's going to try to be more polite and all that other nonsense. He never was before. I'll still be right. (laughs) We'll just... I'm glad you think that. (laughs) Uh, we're about ready to dive into some topics that are highly controversial and uh, opinionated and everybody's a little bit different so we're gonna try we're by no means professionals but uh whoa hey the kind of stuff you sit at um at bird camp and discuss well somebody found your 12 year scotch and and drank all of it for you to drink it all on you but uh you're still bent about that we return the favors every once in a while it wasn't uh, 12 year either it was too was not yeah that singleton Uh, came from costco it's a 12 year scotch for 40 bucks and it's smooth and it's delicious that's hey that kind of fits the uh that kind of fits the uh you know what we're going to talk about here though doesn't it joe Uh, smooth smooth is fast kills birds (laughs) slow is smooth (laughs) And smooth as fast. And smooth as fast. Yes, sir. <laughs> so but. do you want to start with the shooting method part of this? I yeah, sure. At, I know it's you at know, the top of the notes, but it doesn't mean we have to start there, really. I mean, can we... We can work our way down. That's fine. Well, well let's start... No, let, let's start with the other one here, because let's just get it cleared off the table right away. Now, extractors versus ejectors. The first thing I did looking for a side-by-side was I insisted it has to kick them shells back out. And that's... Well, that was selfishly because I shoot a flurry every at the time every year, and I needed those shells to get out of the way of the new ones that were coming down the chambers. Yeah, I, th- I mean, why not? I mean, your gun can look and be whatever it's going to be measurement-wise, barrel configuration-wise, but why not have the most dependable technology, okay? So extractors, or, uh, ejectors, single-trigger, selectable safety, and there there's two things to that okay people are gonna be like how dare you have an opinion and think you're right okay well if somebody's struggling with the safety if somebody's struggling to get their finger in another trigger if somebody's doing all these things there there's a for me there's a safety risk with a new shooter there's always a safety risk on a new guy yeah, yeah. um oh, yeah. and so for me i just think one trigger is enough to worry about muzzle action trigger mm-hmm so we spell that M-A-T, not M-A-T-T. So, you know, just one trigger. One trigger is enough to worry about, I think. But, you know, I, 
we're going to get into this, but you're trying to enjoy yourself. You're not trying to figure out there's so many processes to go into shooting in general, but then we had hunting and woodsmanship. I don't want to have to think about where my, with practice, I guess, if you have just that one gun, which we rarely have one gun because, well, it's an addiction, right? So you got to have the whole cabinet full. At least. Right. And then some underneath the bed and then a pyramid right. of guns on the picnic table, right? Or whatever. And uh, so you may not shoot that gun all year. So when the bird goes up, I want to see the bird and I want to shoot the bird. I, I really don't want to be fumbling around with everything else. So for me, yeah, you know, you get that very rare opportunity when you get into birds and you go bang, bang, and, you know, bird comes down, you go to get the gun open and you're, you're used to your other gun that's got ejectors and now you're shooting this nostalgic, beautiful thing and you go to jam another couple of shells. Oh, the other shells are still in there. Why would you own that? Why would you do that? <laughs> you would to own yourself? it, but like you said, it's the nostalgia, you know. And it, you know, it's a wonderful piece of workmanship and craftsmanship that you can only shoot on sunny days, right? Um, so well, know. I know some people who don't, but besides that, and I see, I see that yeah. some guys oh, point. Yeah. They say, "Hey, they love it." We shoot twice. We don't worry about the next bird that's going to come up. Okay, well. Well, it's being a conservationist. If really. I walk ten miles and I get two flushes, I really want to be there. Um, <laughs> and then, I, and then the guys that like we don't shoot paper hauls. Like I shot paper hauls for a year in the woods. But if we're trying not to litter, I can see that point too. But for me, I can just I'm pretty young. I can go find the yellow, it, yellow shells and pick them up. It took me about two lines of skeet picking up my yellow shells, even with extra, even with ejectors. To make sure my hand was over the chambers, right. and those came right back to my hand instantly. Because, right. well, and nowadays they're solid gold. Right. Trying to, I don't want to pay a quarter a piece for empty hulls, but uh, you know that's that is one of those things though too. And since you were on it already, I noticed you said something about the two triggers. Let's well, let's just irritate a bunch <laughs> of old guys again, right? If you have the time to think between first trigger or second trigger. You've had time to pull them both already, so why not start with the front one and just let her eat? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the well. That second barrel, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold that one. You know, if it's a longer flush, you're shooting an ounce of ounce of whatever. You know, it, whether it's a double A or a hand load or something, it could be eights, it could be nines, it could be sixes. Who cares? By the time you've had a chance to process, it flushed at 25 to 30 and it's getting away. A skeet choke full of whatever you happen to shove in that chamber is a great way to slow it down to figure out if the second trigger was the right one. Yeah. <laughs> and it's Well, my that front trigger anyway. is skeet and my second trigger is modified. Well, what if you just had one trigger and have it click over to the other hammer? Well, even if you have and then two. Then your first trigger is skeet and your second trigger is modified. Or the moral of the story is you just start with whatever two, the first one goes. Or maybe just run two skeet jokes. What about two two triggers and two fingers and just give it? <laughs> no, you don't, don't, don't do that. Do you, no. see how, do you see how this is just going to go down this the is, rabbit hole? We need we need a couple more beers. These are well, these are light on purpose because I figure we get a couple of two-hearteds in us. and Oh, yeah. We would have to click the explicit button and <laughs> no one would like us. No, and no. No mom one would listen might, anymore. Mom and dad might be listening to this. Mom and, so, no, yeah, mom we're and dad don't understand how podcasts work yet. <laughs> they barely get their emails. Um, <laughs> I love they do. You, dad. Anyway, he sees the hunting pictures. 
He Very sees good. all those. Very good. On to the next. On to the next one. Well, since we've already kind of went after it with the shot size, is there any reason that you can think of, and I know my answer to this one, why you would want like nines in the first barrel and sixes in the second? I've on accident loaded where my pockets were full of multiple gauges and everything else. Not multiple gauges, multiple shot sizes. No, I've had it before where I've had multiple gauges in my vest. By the way, that's a huge no-no. Don't ever do that. No, don't. Have, buy two vests. It's buy, better than yeah, buying buy two vests. It's better than buying a prosthetic Anything. arm. Yeah, yeah. Right? Or, just, or part just of spend your the face money. needs to be plastic at right. that point too. Let's yeah. yeah don't let's do not that. make shells and vests, guys. That's we just, can, uh, Everybody knows right. that though. Everybody but, knows. But if you're a grouse, woodcock, preserve pheasant, who knows? Do you notice a difference in the kinetic energy of an eight? Versus a seven and a half versus a six at about thirty yards. No, no, I, no. I can't imagine, considering the number of shells I've shot at birds. The clay targets don't really match up well because you only need really one good pellet to hit it before it breaks. If I was gonna go on a pheasant hunt, I I just think I would shoot. If I was so worried about that, I would probably gauge up versus. Um, Before your shot size up, you just gauge up. I would just say, yeah. What, what am I? Am I that comp? Am I that doubtful in my skills? Is there that much fear in my form and my shot that that all of a sudden all this is going to matter? Now I know a guy. He gets down to the science of it. He just does it because he's so analytical. That's he, the way he lives his life, and that's fine. Like we we could say, hey, for pheasants, they're a bigger animal. Shoot heavier shot and then you could say oh what if i'm going quail hunting well you might want to gauge down and have a little smaller shot you know okay i don't think there's anything wrong with that but if, when i go hunting for anything i just pack my shells they're the same shells that i've always shot so i'm comfortable with that i have confidence in that they're not the biggest shells they're little yellow shells and they're not even one ounce yellow shells and i'll tell you what if you center something up with them they die well, if so we, I have confidence in that because that's what yeah. I practice with. And regardless of whether I'm shooting my really nice gun or my not so nice gun, there's comp, you know, there's confidence there. So. But you hit on it already, though. If you center punch it, right? I mean, there's a lot of guys hunt with a 28 gauge, three quarters of an ounce, whatever shot size is handy, and birds just fall down and they shoot well and. Next thing you know, the guy's like, man, for pheasants, I really need a 12-gauge. I need an ounce and a quarter fives, and I need them going 1450 at the muzzle, like a certain fast lead load. And you're like, oh, that sounds like a lot of pain and a misuse of natural resources, but uh, well, if it helps you, sure. If you're I shooting guess. pen raised birds. Goodness, three-quarters of an ounce is more well, than enough shot. I mean, well, yeah, we hunted with a guy who was shooting a 410 at him. And he had, he, had, he had to hit him a couple of times. I watched it. I'm like, well, for an ethical kill, I'd probably want to gauge up. Gauge but, up and BBs up. Um, if you're going where we went that one November week, no, you're Mike? shooting um, with Josie. Oh, Josie yeah. and his boys. You're shooting everything you can get in the sky. They're flushing at 40. They're flying fast. They do not die. I shot <laughs> one, and I... I shot, I mean, just feathers went everywhere. And he shot it again. And then I shot it as it came down. And it still drug itself over 50 yards. And the dog found it and ripped all the feathers off of it. 
Well, and it still wasn't dead. Well, they I'm don't. Like, but that's that's back to Dad's axiom, though. It's a wild animal. It, it is a wild, and it doesn't hardy, want to die, and it's not know? going to give you an easy chance at it. Right. So and for so, me, ethics yeah. involved. Yeah, I think you can go too light. Um, and like I said, if your confidence, if you're, if you're one of those guys that doesn't shoot clay pigeons and he's rusty, his first trip out. You may yeah. want to open the choke and, and ammo up a little heavy yeah. and light yeah. twelve gauge and um, some standard issue uh, armament there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And two, and that goes for well, that goes for the beginner. That even goes for a guy who doesn't quite know maybe his territory or know what to expect out of a given cover. Right. Ounce and an eighth super sports will get the job done. Yeah. And yeah. out of a skeet choke, you know, you got a little bit of a margin of error. Yep. You get but, a good shot. You get yeah. a good shock wave out of the pattern, and yeah, well, if you're shooting that, then you shoot sevens, shoot seven and a halves if you're in like woodcock grouse territory. I've shot that before now switching over to the 20 gauge for all of my hunting except high pheasants in minnesota or wherever we're going uh i did shoot the the 20 gauge there but they were closer but we knew we were going to get closer shots um not to say you can't shoot a 20 gauge that far i mean ballistically they're equivalent as the payload can be different in some or circumstances right but for everything we do in michigan i have no problem shooting a 20 gauge i might even use factory ammo I do shoot mostly factory ammo. Oh, no, I don't. Excuse me. No. I load my shells. I load all of my... Um, if we're going to do some duck hunting with the 20, then I do buy factory. That's the time that I do buy factory. Yeah. So, well, for, for grouse and woodcock, we shoot... Most of the time, we both shoot some form of pet load, three-quarters yeah. ounce. The shot's dirty. It's not round. It's reclaimed. It's a mixture. I still have a lot of it. I'll actually trade you some for some primers because I'm about out of those. But, uh, yeah, the shot's mostly seven and halves, but it's really uh, about 50-50 mix of seven and halves versus eights, nines. Every now and then you'll see, like, a six because somebody couldn't read the range rules or a steel four or who knows what all else is in there. That stuff kills birds inside 35, 40 yards as good as anything else, and it breaks clay targets really well. But then again, you know, if it's going to be grouse, it's a little later. I have... I don't know. I bet I got a dozen boxes now of standard seven eighths of an ounce. Some of it's sixes, some of it's seven and a half, some of it's eights even. I might actually bump up to a seven eighths of an ounce loading, but And that's where I'm at. I'm yeah. I'm loading factory sixes. Brand new sixes. I bought a bag um, of those. Because I couldn't can, find them in a box of shells. When you can find uh, them, you just get yourself a bag and I shoot I shoot a powder that's uh it's long shot, it's loud, uh it will burn in any temperature that you put it in and then i put it behind mm -hmm. I, I put behind it a really hot primer so if we're in freezing temps i know my shells are going to function flawlessly i get a great burnout in the automatic so the pressure curve at the ports is what i need and i've never i, I like it it kills things it's consistent and i've never changed that but that's still uh, and going back to practice i don't well going back to some something that stuck out in my mind that uh, you were talking to Mr. Heller about, or maybe you heard him talk about, it was, do you practice? Yeah, I practice. With the same speed of shells that I hunt with. And when, when winter time or fall comes in, I put the heavy gun down, I pick up the light gun, and I start to practice. Mm -hmm. Shells become a mute point when you've practiced your craft. 
Right. I mean, we're talking percentages here, but I do try to shoot a quality shell. Like dad always said, man, you don't load crappy brass in shells that count. You don't load (laughs) rifle rounds that you need to shoot the best groups possible because we're killing stuff. So I have a tendency to use once fired, nice, nice hauls. And I try to be, I load them on my single stage press to give myself the best quality ammunition possible you know and that's a percentage like i said but and that's not for everybody some people are like i'm not going to get into it right now well reloading is expensive and i get it but as far as you know just payload and everything pick something that you're confident in pick something that you've shot before pick something that you know is going to break bones mm-hmm. especially guys that in it. we didn't have dogs for the longest time for grouse goodness you had to kill them dead in the air you need to make a good good ethical kill we were so, all 12 gauge hunters back then too right and that's why yeah you know, we didn't we weren't gonna mess around with it because we wanted to be ethical about it so there there's i mean every i guess like i said we're not professionals we all have our little things that we do little insights and uh probably probably based solely on personal experience alone right and um but the methodology you probably get 10 guys together and they they would probably agree on 10 things and disagree on 10 things but those um, those 10 things that we all agree on that for a new person, wow, you know, it kind of clears the, like, what chokes? Uh, if I have to read one more post about what chokes gun, look, it's a piece of pipe crimped at the end, okay? <laughs> the more you crimp it, the smaller the shot comes out, uh, the smaller circle of shot, okay? That's how it works. And really, most people overthink it so much because, yeah, like, pheasants can carry off some lead and keep running grouse can carry some lead but for the most part they seem to die a little quicker now it's been nice having a dog for the last eight years because yeah there's been some marginal ones in there where well ethically do you take the shot well no if i don't have a dog there's some of these shots you probably don't take and maybe you take the shot because you don't understand how far away and then in the moment yeah and then you have that wild goose chase of you spend 20 minutes looking for where this bird should have hit the ground and died and it's not there he's under a log he's in a log he's 40 yards away we have a video of elsa chris's dog i double tap this bird feathers go everywhere and it's a 40 yard poke and so it's it's two barrels as fast as two barrels can go off and i see feathers and it hits the ground like it's dead we run over there because it was it was a flush out of a tree. It wasn't a point. Sorry, all you purists. It was flying though. That counts for something. Hey, in you nowadays. got one up on me. If it was on the road, I would have shot it. <laughs> so we so we get over there. It's at the edge of a cedar swamp, and sure enough, the ground is covered in feathers. Like this thing had to hit head first and just shed the outer layer. And that bird's nowhere to be found. And so we bring her in, find it. She, it's got to be right here. Find it, find it, find it, find it. And she all of a sudden just kind of runs off. And we, she's off a ways. Bring her back in. Find it, find it, find it. Well, eventually, the moral of the story at the end is your dog thinks you're an idiot. So finally, about 50 yards away, she's on point again. And about the time he's going to whistle her back in, he looks. Chris looks over and he goes, she's on point. 50 yards. That, that bird had took two loads of number sixes out of seven-eighths ounce gets over 50 yards away and goes under an old stump in the edge of the cedar swamp in the water hiding yep sure enough we got it on video he reaches down in there good thing it's just the bird and not like a woodchuck or anything else raccoon pulls it out it's still alive kicking but 
you know, that's that with a dog, the confidence level can be a lot higher. Would you have shot that without a dog? Eh, somebody would have well, shot, but that bird would have run off. You probably would have felt really bad because you didn't understand, and in the heat of the moment, the distance, right? But yeah, you know. But that's an extra thing to think about too. If you're the dogless hunter, can I find this if I were to actually make contact? Mm-hmm. And all that has to go through your head while it makes twenty feet of open air space, and then it's gone. Yeah. So. That's. That's kind of how bird hunting goes. But then again, when we did it for years, and then spent 20 minutes, everybody close. Looking for that woodcock. Bent over looking at, for a woodcock in the so high ferns. Yep. And then you eventually find a blood trail and follow it, and that's where the bird is. Or you, know, or, or you stand there and stare at the ground where you swear it hit dead. And 10 minutes later, you're like, oh, yeah, there it's it right here. How did I miss it? But part of that, though, you know, having enough gun, you know, for, for the new person, why not shoot the 12-gauge, right? Absolutely. Shells are easy to come by. There's yeah. a variety. There, you know, there's always... There's more than enough pellets in there, too, to make up for any shortcomings. Right. I, had a, I, I was shooting trap and skeet with, the, with just the 20-gauge one year, and I had an old guy come up, and he's like, I mean, do your scores matter? And I said... Well, well, yeah, he's like, then why aren't you shooting a 12-gauge right now? And I said, well, I'm not shooting register. He's like, yeah, but your confidence and you're learning the game. And, you know, he, he laid it out. And I'm like, that all makes perfect sense to me, logically. And for a new person, that's exactly where I would point them to. Like, margin of error is less and all, and all these things. And it's like, somebody's got a closet with a firearm in there that they're looking to get rid of. You probably get pretty cheap on the used market or at Cabela's on the used rack and yep it's a 12 gauge don't feel bad that you don't have enough one special or you don't have this that and the other get you into the gun and it's perfectly capable of doing the job and then you know later on if you get your confidence in your shot and you want to go dab on it you know I shoot 20 gauge for pretty much all of my hunting needs exclusively now Mm-hmm. But I know what I'm doing. Yeah, I pick my shells as as my percentages. I want them to change, so I pick pick different shells every once in a while. But you know, well, and that's why I have that 12 gauge auto in the cabinet. Yeah. Hey, for you know those what? Days. For for that morning, I was not shooting very good. So what comes out? I got a Benelli. We'll go right back to ounce and an eighth, seven and a halves. We'll screw in the cylinder choke, mm-hmm. and we'll shoot pointed birds. Yep. And I know that my four-foot-wide pattern is going to make good contact. Yep. You know, later on, I'll go back to the Merkel. It'll be improved and modified. I'll be shooting my light loads once I figure whatever mechanics were wrong the rest of the day. But until then, you know what? We're going to auto-chuck these things out there. And if you're new and you need the margin of error, you do. It's not an issue of if you do. Hammer away with a 12. And there's there are so many good 12 gauges out there that... Before you get into it, where you know there's ten grand worth of guns in your cabinet because everyone thinks you need a a gun for every occasion. Yeah, you need you really just need five or six good chokes, one modestly light twelve gauge, and some practice. So at five six hundred dollars into your gun and chokes, you need about six grand worth of ammo and about two nights a week for a couple of years, and 
you can do more with that. You know, the the guys at the club before I moved down in uh, down South Kent, we'll, we'll shout out to them. It's one of the nicest clubs I've ever been to. Um, and the nicest people made it the nicest club. Yeah, it wasn't anything for a clubhouse, but no. I went down there to buy a shotgun off the off the bulletin board, and I ended up being a member there for five years. And uh, some of those guys show up, and what are they shooting today? Well, it's in my old Mossberg. Put a twenty four up on the skeet range. Oh, it could be a thirty. It's like a thirty seven. It could be. There were so many cheap guns that got shot out there. Somebody found an old Wingmaster. Next thing you know, shoots a twenty five with it. I really don't like this gun. You want to buy it? Like, you just cleaned the field. Well, yeah, I don't like it. Would you like it? No, it's it's a it's a Remington. I I have to stick with my prejudices. But yep. uh, I bought his loader. I bought half of his shells off him later on when he got out of the yellow shell game. But you know that's one of those things too. Now, a few things on here before we let's just pick, keep picking on the purists. All right, let's do it. All I'm right. Not a, listen, I'm not a purist. In any way, shape, or form. Uh, Shout out to my father and Tom Cowbell. Oh, no. They groomed me. Tom Cowbell? How'd you put him in with Dad? Uh, oh, Tom's a lot nicer a on us. Yeah, but he don't well, like the purist. Uh, he don't like the purist. Well, those there two, was a story one Those day. guys are houndsmen, though, too. You, let's, <laughs> let's be clear. Those uh, guys run hares. They don't run grouse. I'm a houndsman. I don't care what anybody <laughs> says. Good folk. Um, oh, no. No. You guys were off in the woods playing... Uh, Filson Ware and Orvis, man, whatever was going on. And Dad and I, it was raining. Dad and I and Cowball were in the truck just driving the roads looking for good stands of junipers to drop some beagles. And, uh, man, these grouse just kept coming out on the road. And I'm like, what's going on, Dad? And Tom's like, you can get out and shoot it or what? So I'll get out and clear the truck. And they'd pull away. And I'd walk in the woods after the... <laughs> after the grouse i'm pretty sure i think i shot four grouse that day doing that and you guys came back soaking wet with nothing and i'm like well oh no there's some woodsmanship involved and sometimes it could be on the road but all is fair in love and war i guess well and, and by the same and we just time lost too, the though. puritans <laughs> oh wow who is this guy this blasphemy <sighs> No, there's there's a time and a place too though. If you're doing your homework looking for birds, there is they come out to grit at the side of the road. Right. And whether it's a two track, a logging trail, or or one of the clover covered ones in the gems, whatever you want to pick it, right? They have to come out. That's part of whether you're a deer hunter, whether you're rabbit hunt, whether no matter what you do, if you know your quarry, okay. Well, there there'd even be some logic to it at a certain point if you have your own property. Go make a grit pile in the middle of nowhere in the middle of a clear cut and be like, well, hey, a couple times a day, I should probably run a dog downwind of my grit pile. If there's aspens and right? pine trees Let's... surrounding the gravel pit, you need to be walking around the gravel pit. Well, well yeah, yeah. yeah and, and half the time they take the gravel pit and they move it to the road right. because no one wants to drive through endless mud holes. You know, when I when we didn't have a dog and those, and those we, like maybe you yeah. and another guy went out and I was going to stay back at camp. I'll just grab the gun, handful of shells, you know, get nostalgic on you. Like, I just wanted to have a nice walk and not necessarily hunt, but maybe enjoy the things that you don't always get. You're in the hustle and bustle to make the week work. Man, we're just grinding. We're, we're up at six, blah, blah. And, you know, a couple Hold shells here. in your we pocket. We weren't up at six. I was. You weren't. I cooked breakfast for you. 
When? Exactly. No, What's see, no, when? Come on. You weren't even awake yet. All right, we're not here to argue. It takes, it takes two days to... of camp for me to start waking up at 7. I'm here to state the facts. <laughs> the rest of the year I wake up at 5.30. Well, um, back to my, yeah, so I just leave and I just start walking around. And most of the time, like you said, it's a road to a logging trail, to a trail. And you're just enjoying stuff, right? But you're putting yourself in a position where you know, I mean, the grouse are going to come to the road. They're going to be on the trail. And if you just walk slow enough and pay enough attention, uh, it just goes back to you don't need everything. I guess I guess I'm this podcast is for me to the new guy. You don't need everything. You need some nice things that are reliable. I recommend ammo. And, That's the reliable and, part. And you need to work on your form. Um, but you don't need to open a magazine and buy everything out of it. Um, yeah, this don't. world is getting expensive. And hobbies are getting even more expensive, and if you can pick up whatever. So I got a handful of shells and an um, orange cap, and I'm just observing. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually enjoying myself way more because it's peaceful. Maybe four-wheeler flies by or whatever, but most of the, in the most part, there there's no one but you, and you're in the woods, and you're having fun, and bam, what, just you're quiet, and it all works out, and there's, there's the grouse, and he's five feet from you. You haven't seen a five foot flush all week because you got 10 people or four people and six dogs or however it's working even two guys and one dog and you're still making noise but you're just walking that path nice and slow paying attention and boom all of a sudden that you get the perfect shot bam you're successful (laughs) that makes you feel great you know that's that's for me you know and you're like whoa i did some it's just that simple to pay attention so so yeah, I know you brought this up about, you know, there's only a few things you really have to spend good money on. You were the same guy I know that let how many hairs get away in one year because your your hand-loaded hunting ammo went <laughs> instead of actually bang? That, that was, was you, right? I had a I had I just, one bottle of blue dot powder. <laughs> and I thought it was new and it the, wasn't. The answer he didn't say was yes, Joe. That no, was me. That's when I switched long shot I was very unfamiliar with blue dot I was loading it in some heavy 38s <laughs> me and this guy we were just loading pistols with it or whatever and it got cold and yeah I had I mean I had to I took a stick <coughs> off of a piece of shoemack on a knife and I was jamming it in the gun because it didn't you want to see the a... powder just wasn't igniting and I'm you, like you want to see a desperate man you're the only guy on the cutoff of a snowshoe hare you've hunted for two days. It's got the best of your dogs. It's got the best of your team. And all of a sudden, you get the opportunity, and you don't hear bang when the trigger clicks. And next thing you know, yeah, you're looking around for a shoemaker to clear a wad out of your barrel. The barrel's off the gun. Dogs are still running. have no idea you didn't do your job. I killed him on the second <laughs> pass. Let's get real here, okay? All right, you give me all this crap. Of course we give you a lot of crap. <laughs> you know, all right, let's get into uh, snowshoes. I, I know a lot of people that, I mean, they just, let's piss some more people off. Um, they look down on hounds. They look down on hound people. We're just simple, redneck, toothless people. Um, well, you got all you your know, teeth, and, but the rest of it seems to match it, up. And this is part of, like, you don't need to pay the inflated prices out of the magazine to go do anything. Um, a snowshoe <laughs> hair is, like, as smart as a coyote 
Oh yeah, and definitely. I've seen it. I've oh, seen yeah. it, and no, I'm not, and a lot of people that you get out there, they're smarter <laughs> than grouse. Look, oh, grouse, yes, a grouse has one tactic, and it's a really good. It's like the Bruce Lee. Like he's got one kick. He's practiced it ten thousand times. He's gonna get on the opposite side of cover, and he's going when you least expect it. And he's gonna scare the crap out of you. That's or he's gonna flush at fifty yards, and you're never gonna get a shot. Either way, those moves okay. work really good. A hare is getting chased, and he knows that there's people with guns. A hares that have been shot at, and they're smart, and they do like they do all the math and geometry in their head, and they just go right where they need to go, and they're looking ahead. I've seen I've seen hares look right at me, and look back at the dogs, and look at me, and look back at the dogs. And they know that somebody is going to kill them one way or the other. And they just have to make up their mind, are they going to run back into the dogs, or are they going to run across this gap? Sit there for ten minutes and listen to a dog, and look back and forth. And the dogs get within eight feet, and he's like, well, i got to make this move. And he makes that move across that road in one leap. He takes a 16-foot leap, right? It's like jump, 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 and he just and you shoot him out of the air, and that's the only shot. He's gonna make you work for it, okay? <laughs> I've never seen a grouse do that kind of math. No one, and, and and if there's a grouse out there too that gets the better of your dog, no one empties a grouse camp to go out there to get that bird either. <laughs> but after day three, you guys running this same hare. And they're not using GPS like we have on our bird dogs. They're still using old radio collars. We're doing it the old-fashioned way. It's not. I mean, it's, look, it's still enough that, that you go, won't lose your dog, though. You're, you you're not going to lose them. You take a snowshoe hair and you run a dog with a GPS collar, and he runs two circles, and then you go stand on the circle and shoot him. So now is that fair? <laughs> so so for so for context, right? Two days in a row, Andy and Dad run run dogs on hares. We're off bird hunting, and they come in. It's dark. Dogs are deadbeat, tired. Hey, you get that one? I don't want to talk about it. Open up a beer. <laughs> okay. Sitting down after dinner. All right, guys, here's the plan. Tomorrow evening when all the bird dogs are tired again, I need all of you. Like, like how, I don't like remember all this of story. Us. Oh, come on now. This has happened twice. They, like, they assembled the posse. Like, this rabbit does these things. It evades our dogs. It evades the other guy's dogs from the DNR, our buddy there, Mike Ferguson. Right, it evades everybody's dogs. Right, we're gonna kill this thing tomorrow. Okay, what's the plan? Well, we're gonna park here. We're gonna go here. The rabbit lives in this like half acre of junipers. It's gonna start. It's gonna run south. It's gonna skirt the swamp before it does its spiral. Two of you are gonna be down at that cutoff. Two of you are gonna be over here at the four wheeler trail, and another one over here. And it's gonna have to run in front of somebody with a gun. I think okay. I, sh- I think I shot that one at that, sixty yards. That's I think that was the one too where your one. gun dudded on you too that no, same year, I, or at least that location is known for one of these voodoo hares every single that is the year. Spot. That was a great spot though, and it holds grouse too. Mm-hmm. You can go back in there later. Yep. So yeah, next thing you know, you mobilize an entire camp's worth of bird hunters, find enough it sixes. Starts to piss you off after a it, while. Well, it, <laughs> every time there's a rabbit smarter than you, it should piss you off a right. little. And they're not smarter. They just, look. Their survival instincts are way better than your hunting instincts. That's just all there is to it. It's where they live. Yeah. They don't go down holes. They don't go down holes. And they're used to being run. Somebody once said, too, they're 
they're a, whatever it was the game species that was being talked about. They're a full time rabbit, grouse, turkey, and you're only a part time hunter. Right. At what point is this? Do you think it's going to be supposed to or supposed to be fair? If it you know, was easy, there would be no hares. Right, and there'd be a lot more people trying it. Right. But no. You know, all the do- all you can ask the dogs to do is <laughs> stay within fifty. Sometimes it's a hundred. You know, with what these with what these hares are. I mean, they're running through water deep water yeah because i ended up getting wet through the thighs on that watch a cottontail down in in where we hunt around here watch them swimming in a stream that's not even fair to a dog you know (laughs) you just better hope that they're running they're swimming upstream and that happens to be where the wind is and the the dog can pick it up but now to be fair Dad being retired now, it's not really fair to the rabbits either because those dogs have experience that most oh. people's dogs don't have. Well, we finally got a guy to scout all week long. Put you oh. right on him. Oh, my God. Not only on him. Yeah, that's that's just not fair. To them. He'll just say, hey, we ran this one three times. It does this, this, and this. All right, well. <laughs> Sorry, rabbit. We put it in our time, you know? Well, yeah. The but, same uh, thing goes with, with grouse. It goes with pheasants. You put in your time. There should be some ease of use if I'm, you've done your... I mean, scouting kills. Right, if you're a waterfowler, camouflage and scouting kills. You know, you, so a you dog that's in G- condition kills. You don't need the GPS is the point. It's no, nice. No, no, no. I do. It's nice. I've been lost more than a couple of times. Um, yeah, but I mean, like on your dog or, you know, do you do you need everything high dollar? You don't need everything high dollar, but then again, I'm using a hundred and fifty, two hundred dollar GPS unit. It, it works just fine. So that for I the got new on guy, a Facebook Marketplace. So for the new guy that we told, hey, buy a used twelve gauge. Yeah, a used twelve gauge that or not fits close. Yep. Hey, maybe look for a DC forty or that's what I'm using. Or look for, um, I mean, I was real, still running the. Uh, you guys still run radio collars, Sport dog. I don't even... It's like the precursor to the really nice ones. But, like, I had a Beagler from Tritronics. Um, they don't make and, a hot collar anymore. And another one, right? So I had... I was running those collars, and then oh. I was running still, like, those telemetry bear dog collars. You know, like the old... Just the old... Huh? Yeah, the old radio wave ones. For down here. Okay, it works. And, and how many times are you really... Do you really lose a dog unless you get a... I guess no shoe. Yeah, he wants to go out of the county. Oh, but even then, he comes right back to he where you started. He will come back him. three hours later, like we've had in, in the know. dark. Right, but uh, <laughs> you know, so to the guy, in the dark. so to the guy that yeah. can't afford a twelve hundred dollar Garmin, get in the sport and enjoy it and learn all that stuff that we were talking about. Look, look, you could look at the screen. I I run a dog trip pathfinder now. I love it. Really, you finally bought one? Because instead of killing. I want to run, and I want to learn everything I can about the dog as you're training the dog. So I'm, I'm more worried about just I'm looking at the screen, but then I can flip over and videotape the dogs. I can videotape the rabbit, and the dog's coming through on it. Just like you you know, you videotape the, the point to the flush or whatever. Yeah. And I already have my phone out. I'm already looking at it. So for me, I don't have to carry two different things, and that works for me. And really nobody that I know. I don't really run with a lot of guys, so they all run Garmin's. I bought the cheaper version. It's it's almost half cost, right? It was seven hundred and some dollars or whatever. Um, it got me into something. 
a little bit nicer in it, but that was a dog and a half ago that I finally decided, okay, we're going to upgrade this piece of equipment for safety and for training. Right. It wasn't because I had to. Your dogs go further than mine. Right. Um, but, but they, at the same time though, though, that we really went down, well, it rabbit holes is. We're rabbit holing. We are I totally told you, rabbit I am holing. not a professional at anything, including podcasts. So. Well, neither am I, but I wing it pretty darn good. <laughs> you got the list right there. You're supposed I'm, to keep us on track. Well, we, now it was good content. GPS Here we units. had, we had, <laughs> we had camp stories. We talked about GPS, you know, oh, yeah, man. and, and that. That thing What's too the statue about... of limitations on Grouse Camp? How long has that been? We could... Never mind. We won't. Statute of limitations. Yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, well, forget it. <laughs> let's let's those, just, um... those don't get recorded. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some things that happen at camp stay at camp, in the um, and and they end up in the pot right away. Anyway, besides those things, <laughs> back to the notes. Um. Really, the the things on here, you know, there's. If I was to post on social media about the ideal grouse gun, everyone is going to give you an opinion of what really there there are too many variables, but in the end if you oversize it, overpower it and under choke it, you're better off in the in the beginning. You know, and then you get to the point where yeah, after a few thousand rounds and a handful of seasons you start to figure out your form and then things get better for you. There's a few myths on here though. And that is that the lightest gun's the best gun. And I can't disagree more strongly with... A moderate weight. A moderate weight with well-balanced. It has to balance. That you can still carry and not get tired. So, But if you carried a 7-pound Satori like we did for a lot of years... Yeah, I still do sometimes. Still do. So what? After about two days of carrying the little... I mean, Browning Satori's are known to be equivalent to the heaviest gun on the market in whatever market they're in, right? 12-gauge Satori's are always going to be slightly heavier than every other over-under out there. If I was to buy Other than maybe a Winchester 101, which is not that far off of a Satori anyway, right? If it's a 20-gauge Satori, they're all just a little bit heavier than the 20-gauge Berettas and Tri-Stars and everything else. But then again, three days of hunting with a Satori, you're not tired, you're growing stronger, and if that's the gun that you shoot the best, you're going to acclimate into that gun like we did for half a decade plus before we bought something else. I think that whole posting the what is the ideal, then everyone's like, well, I got a Fox grade 76B. Sorry, Kazmersky, because he's talking about you. Twenty-five B. I mean, and they and they <laughs> With rattle four off four weight barrels. Right. They they rattle off oh, what God, they a beautiful have, gun, right? Too. Oh, that and, gun's nice. And for me, if somebody's asking you a question and you you truly care about them, it's not about you. It's about directing them in the right direction. So, like, a moderate weight. Do you hand load? No. Semi-auto, so you don't get the crap kicked out of you. That you can go to the gun club and it digests cheap Winchester it, tin it will base. Digest everything. Oh, those are horrible. It shoots good. Yeah. So you want to build yourself an all-around gun? I don't have a gun. I don't have a dog. I want to get it. Okay. I understand that this is like not. I went into a Gander Mountain, 
And this guy's trying to sell this dude. He doesn't have a firearm. He's, he's trying to get into everything. And he's trying to sell him this recoil-operated CZ. And he's boasting it. You never have to clean it. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't you clean your gun? Well, you can shoot it forever. And blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, it's inertia. And it's going to kill your shoulder. And this guy's talking about taking it and going to shoot Drab and Skeet with it. So I already, Ooh. I'm listening to this guy, right? And he goes, all right, I'll just give you a minute. And he moved off. And I said, hey, I'm not going to disagree with this guy. But this 1100 that's used right here with some jokes. And I said, listen, if you go to any gun club and you have a question about this gun, there's six old guys there. That will tear it apart. <laughs> they will go to their car. They will get you your O-rings. All you have to do is have a handful of O-rings in your pocket. Now, if I can get that gun for 400 and not pay seven, 800 bucks on something that I'm never going to get parts for, I don't know how to tech it. There is no old guy in the face of the planet at any gun club or at any grouse camp that's going to look at it and go, yo, yeah, I know all about that. So mm-hmm. it's not about you at Gander Mountain being the sales. That sales guy came back. And he looked at me and I said, I'll get you your, I'm not, I don't work here. I can't let this guy in good faith as a sportsman. And if you're a sportsman, you can't sell him that. Push him in the right direction and make your commission. Yeah. Well, I don't even think they made commission there too, but. I don't know what it was. The guy, the guy was a bear hunter and a rifle shooter. (laughs) So I'm like. Think this through with me, man. Okay. Buy something that everybody knows about, right? And I'm not saying that's the lightest. That's, I'm not going to say that I that's can't. the gun you should carry in the field. But, man, a lot of people did. And they know how to work. So for if I'm new and I show up with that and I do something stupid, like maybe don't clean it, or, hey, my bolt fell out. The, you know my uh, the, the bolt charging handle fell out. Well, anybody can say, hey, man, let me help you. Okay, so now we're passing the torch and we're mentoring. And we're not just going, well, my fox, great, blue, 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 blue. Okay, are you going to argue from a place of, like, so ignorant authority? Or are we going to help the new person, right? You got to spend five grand on a this, this, or this. Okay, that guy just told his wife it's going to cost him five grand for just the gun, not including the dog, the chaps. Oh, you got to have a freaking blah, blah, blah type jacket. And she's going to say, yeah, no, kids got soccer practice. Now, if you come in home and say, I just found this guy, he's retiring, he's got three or four 1100s at home, and he came to the gun club and he's got one for 400 bucks. Now, all of a sudden, you're in the gun, you go to Walmart, you buy a couple of vests and a thing of shells, and you're hunting. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think that's more important than somebody's personal opinion, but... You know, a nice semi-automatic, and if you're going to buy an all-around all over and under, I shot a Lightning Sporting Clays forever. And it's not a specific to one. It says Sporting Clays on it. Dude, I shot everything with it. I threw it in the bottom of a duck boat because it was already ruined when I got it. And somebody crapped their pants that I took it freaking rabbit hunting with me and it was like sleeting and they're like what are you doing and i'm like sporting clays editions are great guns anyway this gun is light (laughs) it's got a nice rolled like wide comb it doesn't recoil it functions flawlessly yeah the barrels are ported it's a little bit loud 
right? But I mean, it's multi choke. <laughs> the the grip isn't a full pistol, but it's not an English. It's an all around beautiful Prince of Wales grip, you know. And there's yeah what? yeah it hand and they handle well, they right? Handle a sporting well. clay's gun handles so really you know and and they're not too light part of the problem is if you don't have your form nailed down and i hand you a five pound whippy on the front end sub gauge the best you can possibly do is make contact in the wrong part of the bird the worst you're going to do is miss all day because if you can't nail down your form you can't take advantage of the characteristic of the gun and then using light payloads because it's sub gauge, you've handicapped yourself a little bit, and that's that pet peeve of everybody wanting to push you sub gauge. Yeah, and this is coming from a guy who shoots yellow shells at everything but ducks and geese. But is yellow shells really sub gauge? At three quarters of an ounce, yes, okay. it is. All right. But at the same time, at ducks and a geese, what do I shoot? Ounce and a quarter, steel fours. Threes, well, you BBs, want the, you want and edge. I modified choke it because at the same time I know what kills those birds outright. Even though I have great dog, it's I, ethical. It's ethical for me to shoot a goose with right. three-inch Magnum twelves, over-choked, overpowered, over-payload, and way too close for that shell. Yeah, I'll, I'll hammer them at fifteen yards if I can. Why? They're dead. I mean, and I've got a short hair that likes to make them dead if they're not to begin with. A goose chase is his favorite thing in the world. But, you know, that's the the one exception to that is, yeah, at a certain point, I'm going to overkill it. And and the hard-to-die species, if I went to Minnesota with Josie, the 12-gauge comes out. Well, why? 40-yard flushes? Yes. Modified choke? Absolutely. Two-and-three-quarter prairie storm? Probably and, and, and that is, we don't yeah. we don't do a lot of pheasant hunting. So I'm in a new situation. Yeah. Just like we're going back to this. I'm new to this. More than enough gun. I don't know the I don't know the game. I don't know the move. Okay, and, I've, and if I've never experienced that, I need to put enough in my court to where I'm confident that one, let's not just wound everything on sight. Let's kill it, and yeah. and let's have a good experience because then we've made a clean kill and we've. Maybe we'd go back if we didn't miss everything, you know. And and a lot, <laughs> you know, the the pheasant thing is this. I mean, everyone's like, well, early season you can use a twenty eight gauge. I, I'm not saying you can't, but but until I know what consistently happens, right? And I then, want then you more go bees. look for twenty eight gauge shells right now. They're more popular. Then, There's the more of guy, those in the store shelves yeah, than twenty gauge right now. And the new guy that's going to soccer practice needs to run into Walmart and. Figures out how much, and then she figures out how much you're paying for a box of them, and that you're freaking screwed, right? Right, right. Is there? <laughs> what about this thing called sighting plane? Like, I love my side by side. I shoot it. I shoot it in a style that was developed for a side by side. But that same style hasn't changed, right? And you can shoot any discipline you want: skeet, trap, sporting clays, fit task pheasants grouse woodcock sharp tails it really doesn't matter the discipline is all the same when it comes to the the shot has to make contact with the bird or the target whatever it is and then somebody throws out that well a nice sighting plane on the top of that gun is the last thing on your possible mind what are you sights should only be applied to applied to 22s and elephant guns there, I, there should right. never be a sight 
I'm gonna even, oh. I'm gonna mildly disagree, but mm. I'm gonna agree. Okay. Exciting. When thing. when we are a new shooter. If we're a new shooter, we take the bead off their gun. No, never. Yes. Um, we practice things that we are trying to learn. Okay. Let's just go right to stance and mount, and and we're learning the, to look for the uh, a consistent sighting plan each time. We're gonna learn the proper mount, and then we're gonna check it with the beads. We're going to learn them out. We're going to check it again. And we're going to look at the move. And then we're going to check the beads after our shot to make sure our beads in the move. And we're teaching technique. And if you don't know it, you have to learn it consciously. So for me, when you're talking, uh, especially to the kids or whatever, and you're asking them to do something, and you have to literally break it down into the most simple concept. So a sight plane, um, look, I like to see a lot of rib. I'm over the gun, and it's slightly ramped to the front of the, and I have one bead on my gun. I don't, it is what it is. I care more about point of impact than I do my sight point, but maybe to a new shooter, if checking your bead, if, if shooting a little bit flatter or even a ramped bead with two, uh, ramped rib with two beads, if that works for you, if it, you know, that's why you go to nationals, you can shoot any gun you want in any configuration you want. I think that more people should go to places like uh, shoot demo guns down, is it Grand Blank? They got demo guns there. They got demo guns at now. It'd be worth a four-hour trip to go to SCTP nationals and shoot every single gun you possibly can. You put your driver's license down, and you take the gun out to the trap field. And you kind of know what you like to see and how the gun feels and all that stuff, but... Getting back to sighting planes, if I'm practicing something in the conscious to learn it so I can execute it in the subconscious, um, it matters what you are looking at, and it matters how wide the barrels are. Um, maybe it's just to, this is the gun I have and I need to learn it, but for anybody that says that they don't look down their beads or they never use their beads, or they, yes, yes, you do. You don't shoot 100 straights by not knowing exactly where the gun is. And um, I shot a high rib gun the other day in trap. I looked through the gun. If I was doing that with a side-by-side, I would have a massive chunk on the bottom right-hand side of my 30-inch circle of vision occluded by really wide barrels. So I shot this high rib the other day, and it put that space, and it allowed my eyes to come through where there was almost no bite out of the, when I looked through my barrels at the top of the trap house, there was no, almost zero occlusion on that right-hand side on, on let's say, post five. Well, I'm holding a, a, a vision on, on the five bird on post five that's 30 inches in a circle there's almost no bite out of the right-hand corner. So when I get a hard right and my eyes can just go to it, high rib guns are awesome in trap. They really are. It's like cheating. But am I going to tell any every new guy buy a high rib? No. Could you hunt and shoot clay pigeons with a mid rib? Absolutely. Now, I'm a flat rib guy because I like to see. I like to just look down on it. Mm-hmm. I like to be... <clears throat> half an inch up so it's just running i'm just running that rail and i'm not really looking at my beads but they're still there you get this incoming crow bird or you you get that grouse that really doesn't know what he's doing and he comes up 
I can snap shoot him right out of the sky. But if I have time, maybe I, maybe I look and I find that barrel that comes up just nice and slow. I'm gonna make a. I'm not gonna make any rash decisions, and I'm gonna bring that gun up in there, and I can see that sight plan. Then I put the, you know, and it's so close and it's such a slow shot. I'm gonna find his head, and I'm gonna put it. I'm just, I'm gonna place that gun right where I want it. So that's just my two cents. I I think. Uh, sight plane matters when you learn from a new perspective consciously uh, until we execute. I don't see my, I see my, what side of the barrel my eyes are on when I shoot skeet and trap. That helps me dictate whether I'm in front or behind or whatever. But as soon as I sink up to the target, I pull the trigger anyway. So, no, I don't see my beads. I don't see the sight plane. But yes, I do. Um, right. So, so it's not a distraction for you, but it, no. you're not you're not hard focusing anything on your gun, right? When you said, I picked out the grouse's head, you're, you've got two eyes looking right in that grouse's eye, and so, the rest of your body is essentially at that point moving the gun to its eye and hitting the trigger. At the level we are at, that is where we are at. Yeah. Um, it's always clear target, blurry barrels, even when I'm teaching my son how to shoot his BB gun. Jackson, I'm going to cut the sights off if you look at it one more time. He's like, what do you mean? All right, we're going to shoot at this pop can. He's right eye dominant. He's right shoulder. He's he's the easiest kid to pretty much teach, right? But he's like, I want to line the sights up. And I'm like, well, we're learning BB gun to flow into shotgun. So you mount from a, a smaller position, like a cheap mount, okay? Mm -hmm. and I want you to mount up into the can and I want the trigger to break he's like I can't line up the exactly you can't line anything up you're gonna see it you're just gonna point and but shoot. you're not gonna look at it everything that's gonna happen with our barrels happens in the peripheral but trying to teach that subconscious and peripheral shot you have to he learned over the process that he can let that go mm-hmm so uh, the sight point doesn't matter to him now. But it still matters. You know, so it's, it's that learning thing, right? So for me, a side-by-side -side is one of the most difficult things to shoot because the peripheral is so wide. So it better fit, and it better shoot exactly where you want it to. Otherwise, you might, I mean, it's wide. So well, when you place that barrel in front of something, and you, and like you said, some guys don't shoot beads. You shouldn't. Well, you shouldn't be. I mean, I come from the over-under world because that's what we—that's what we all shot at the time. Mm -hmm. Even then, and I the, come from the automatic world. The guys—the guys that looked at the beads were the ones you noticed right away in the skeet field because they start and stop their gun swing four times before right. the the target made forty yards worth of flight. But being new, being you new, you see that chop swing, well, and you and you direct it, and eventually the the barrels meld into the background right and at a certain point to speed that along i would i always think take the beat off because the the sight plane as you would think about it what i would only ever use the sight plane for is to see if that the gun cheeks properly does the gun when you pull the gun to your shoulder does the rib disappear the way it should does the bead happen to be where the shot impacts? Good. Now forget about all of those things and never look at your gun again 
because now that we know that your eye is lined up with the gun and you have a modest fit, good. Two eyes on the target because that's where the shot goes. How do you know that your hands got through if you don't see your barrels in the peripheral? I teach sole focus on the bird. Yeah, you I have teach to. the gun goes off when the target is crystal clear. Mm-hmm. What I also teach is what side are the what side of the barrel are your eyes on? Where is the gun? If you can't tell me where you're putting, some shots are so fast, fine, you don't see it. But I still believe subconsciously you do. And the guys are like, well, the gun, you can just look at it and then pull the trigger. Well, if I hold my gun at my side, and the gun comes, the target comes out of the house, and I pull the trigger. Like, well, I saw it really good. Well, dude, the barrel's eight feet off to the left. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I just had this with a guy. I just pulled the trigger. Yeah, y- you have to have a conscious placement. Whether or not you, you've you drilled and drilled and drilled, I think that's why some hunters, they're just like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, you haven't developed that ability to place a barrel on a moving object you haven't developed that skill that's, that's not an innate thing that that's a learned form it's a learned form so yeah sight planes and beads have their purpose in learning and eventually they they go away i have taken beads off guns i have put beads back on guns if you can see a bead in your peripheral on an outgoing bird you have an advantage yeah i i believe it yep I mean, look at all, look, if this was this thing, there wouldn't be beads, glowy beads on professional shooters guns, if this was really a thing. But a professional shooter can look at that glowy bead high vis sight in his peripheral and precisely place it with such accuracy that it's never wrong. But then again, you're going back to how many people are going to be professional levels that want a high vis sight in the middle of their sight it's the same thing. Is I, my center of focus on the target and is my peripheral detecting barrel movement? If my eyes are locked on a sight, it doesn't matter if the sight's gone or not. If my eyes are locked on the barrel, it doesn't matter what color, what shape the barrel is. But if, you, if your eyes aren't locked on the bird, the rest of it doesn't matter because you're not going to hit it. So yeah, peripheral placement of barrels is a legit argument. And that's where a lot of guys that are hunters have not shot enough clay pigeons and had to perfectly place their barrels. I mean, you get a you get a bird in sporting clays that beats you. You shoot you run. I ran like eight stations on this charity shoot, okay. And there was four presentations that I could not figure out what the bird was doing, and I could not place the barrel. I could look really really hard at that target. I couldn't put the barrels where they needed to be, and I fell <laughs> off a cliff. So the old the adage is just, just look at it harder oh, and yeah. it magically goes away. No, I completely did. It's, well, yes it's and a, no. It's I'll, a per, it's a, it's I would a challenge that. What? It depends on the method you shoot. Well, I can look at anything. I can look at that microwave really hard. Right, but depending on the method you shoot, like I had the same thing too. There were two target presentations the other day at the Cast and Blast that just simply blew my mind, and mm-hmm. I missed three out of four chances. Right. Now, what I got away from, though, was get that gun, swing through from behind, and just simply trust that when you pass it, hit the trigger. And I started to think about, okay, there's a trick here because everything else has been pretty easy. This one's got to have some. Where do I place my barrels? The trick to the whole thing in the end, and because 
the more I thought about it later on, the trick was place the barrels in front of where the bird is flying and hit the trigger. And it was that simple, really come from behind, pass it. It's not that far. It's only, it might've started at 35 and angled itself slightly in, right? Zero reason for me to overthink this, but I did four shells. Well, that was one that beat you, but okay. Totally. But if if you can pass through it, get in front of where it is, and if your eyes are following its line of flight, when you pass it, hit the trigger. And a lot of the times, you're, you're not going to shoot 96 out of 100 on a, on a sporting clays registered line. But on a hunter's clays course, you're going to shoot 40 out of 50 reliably, and you're going to fill your game bag just because start from behind, swing through it, hit the trigger. I mean, straight line targets. This was a curving chandel kind of thing, and it blew my mind. Well, because you were trying to blow through it. And it was already in, it's in transition in three different spots. Had I shot it faster, I think it would have been There fine. are clay pigeons that they throw that are in transition 100% of the time, both speed and angle. And this is where I'm talking about if you don't know how to place the barrel in the right position to that, okay? Because we just can't look at the line because the line is constantly changing. So we pick out a segment of that possibly. Or we say, okay, it slows down right there and it's if i use a box method or however method i use and i figure out okay right there i need to place my barrel and i can run with it for a foot or that's in transition and it almost stops right there okay so these things that are going from left to right and they look like they're continuing but really they're cutting back they're, they're really going back on themselves, or when they drop, they slide out from underneath you, and you're like, oh, if I start right here, and I, oh, crap, where am I? You're behind it. How is that? Because it moved, and you can't pick it up. So, and these placing were, These barrels, weren't even that hard. <laughs> I'm saying, once you get to that level, this is what, that yeah. I really struggle with, is trying to place those barrels right where they need to be, because mm-hmm. it's not one of these wild house-to-house just run right through it kind of pieces of information when when you're in especially when you're hunting that bird can do and most of the time they're rising okay so you got that figured out but sometimes i mean that grouse just turns and you got to be able to place the barrel so that's what i'm talking about i'm not talking about anything else besides being able to i mean a grouse comes up and you have a split second shot are you going to be able to pass through it no you literally put your barrels right where it needs to be and you pull the trigger. You spot shoot it. But even then, you're still passing through it. I don't know. I never through, passed through a woodcock in my life. I the go entire, to 12 feet and I shoot it. The entire gun mount what? is passing through, right? The gun isn't well, to your shoulder, but more or less, you're swinging through the bird. I mean, your entire mountain shoot is your swing. And so coming from behind to in front hammer the trigger when the gun touches your shoulder is essentially a full pass through the gun just wasn't on your shoulder as you swung through the bird so what happens if the flush is off to your left and you're holding on the right hand side up in the air and the gun never starts from behind the bird you're already at double ready at the top of the aspen trees and all of a sudden this grouse comes up and it goes straight out and you place the gun two three feet in front of it and then you run with it and you pull the trigger I don't do that. Well, why not? It's a faster shot. You should learn it. I know my method. I know it really well. There are times where one 
we're gonna get into this method method thing. Okay. Do we have time for this method thing? Listen, sometimes you don't swing through. Sometimes you spot shoot, and sometimes you sometimes have, you just poke it. Sometimes poke at the bushes and hit the trigger. That yeah. comes from three guys down, and it's flying the line. And your gun is out in front, and you look at it, and you mount it. You mount right into the lead, and you powder him. But even then, I. What? But it's but it's practiced too. Where my gun starts and my swing is behind the bird. And whether it's six inches behind the bird or 17 yards behind the bird, it doesn't matter to me. But with the whole swing involved, right? And that's because I shoot a style that's, I'm going to call it a side-by-side style. I learned it out of a book from Holland and Holland. And that's what they make. That's what I shoot. And that's what I learned. And the gun hits my shoulder. The cheek hits the stock. And bang, about that time, I'm somewhere right around the bird's beak. Yeah. But the gun muzzle, for the most part, whether it started at the tail feathers themselves or a car length behind it, is more or less a behind to in front, hit the line, hit the trigger. How do you know where your muzzles are when, you, when, you're, when your stock hits your face? Because my hands and my eyes are coordinated through my brain, which is a magnificent cam- computation machine. Would you just prove my point that if you practice... You had to learn. Oh, I practiced a ton. You you had to learn it somewhere. So we're gonna go right back. We got in a way rabbit hole. You're trying to be right, but I am. Um, what whatever. The sight plane and the learning of how the bear looks into the shot is a learned thing. So anyone that says you just don't look, it's a, it's all practice. Asked. There's a pile of learning, you but in the end, you're not looking at the gun. Barrel. Your brain, the only way it can put the barrel there is that if it knows the barrel's there. Oh, absolutely. It's not a magic, like, it's not an invisible gun. The <laughs> but brain sees it and it puts it in the right spot, but it's not right. focused on it. Right, because people that focus on those, and that's where the, the term sight plane makes me think that somebody looking over their grandpa's thirty thirty at a deer, the sight plane, no, 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 never. Why would you ever shoot a tapered rib then? A lot of guys do. Well, if you're not focusing on it because you practiced, I don't care if you paint the damn thing orange. It doesn't matter anymore at that point. If you've practiced and you're focusing on the target, your brain's doing all those calculations already, you can put a stop sign on the end of the gun, and it doesn't matter anymore. But the second you put an ivory bead on the end and somebody starts looking at it because they wonder if they're far enough in front of the bird because it's uncomfortable because they haven't practiced, it it's the most beautiful stop swing ever because they go from this nice fluid and about the time the gun should go off because you're looking over their shoulder, you're watching the whole time. You're like, yes, right there is the break. Jerk, they stop. And they start well, again, swing through it again, check the lead, stop it again. And they could have broke the bird four a, times. But, that's not, but a, that's not a sight plane issue. That's a check issue, Joe. But it's also a sight plane because they start to think sight. And the word sight is horrible in shotgunning. We don't use sights. We use shotguns. Well, they're not sights. They're beads. It's a sight. <laughs> right? It's out there as a point of reference for you to point the gun um, at. Quail on the ground, just like the pioneers would have did, because shells were expensive. And I here we are. We're sportsmen a, now. I we don't need those. I think you can see a flat rib. I think you can see a tapered rib. I think you see Goodness. it in your peripheral. But I know the barrels are there because I own them and I feel them in my front hand. But that's the it. That's just me. Yep. That's... Assistant Coach Andy says I'm wrong. <laughs> anyway. 
<laughs> a couple of things on here. We, uh, we're going to skip the pattern part because really any gun that's manufactured with any lick of sense in anyone at any point in the engineering to manufacturing, the gun needs to shoot somewhere in the center of that mythical bead that we don't call a sight, but we do. It's a bead. It had better not shoot low. It really shouldn't shoot too high, but a little high is fine. If we're shooting game that rises... You want a rising target into a rising pattern. I would pattern. like to see my pattern more above than below. Some guys like 50-50, some guys like 80-20. I shot a gun once, it was 100%. I learned how to shoot it, but I've moved back 60-40, 70-30. Uh, I, I think that's great. Um, also, too, especially in the side-by-side -side game, right? If you don't see the bird, it's hard for your hand-eye coordination to place the shot on the bird that you can no longer see. Right. So a little high on a pattern, especially on a side-by, leaves the bird where you can see it, and that's where the majority of your BBs go, which is going to give you a better chance to hit it, especially on rising targets, which is what birds generally are doing. If they're running, you're not supposed to shoot them, evidently. I think all is fair in love and war. Well, with a pointing dog or a flushing <laughs> dog, we, we let the dog no do dog. their job first. No dog. No dog. No, Everything is easy. There's equal. a famous chef I said I heard talking about it, and he says, well, I don't have a dog, and I like to eat these things, so whatever method it takes to get him into the game bag. Right. And uh, he's still my favorite chef, even if he does ground pound of occasional birds. I, do, I would not shoot a bird on the ground if there is pointing and flushing dogs involved because... Just too much goes wrong. Well, yeah. Yeah. What if you have even, a dog that trees like a coonhound? Well, I mean, even with a beagle. My son was, uh, the, do <laughs> the dogs were right behind. We were running in March, and there was two rabbits blasting through. And all he heard was screaming, bellowing hounds. And he did not shoot. He's like, I'm not, they're running right at us. So if mm -hmm. he takes a shot at 30 yards into the ground cover and sprays a sick shot and it's hitting leaves and it's hitting trees and it's hitting for whatever it's hitting and it's deflecting all over and the dogs are 50 yards behind it there's a really good chance some some of that's going to get over to them so if you lose an, a dog like would it kill them i don't know would it poke their eye out probably maybe yeah. you know and it's just not he looked at me he's like i'm not comfortable and i'm like well you just did the right thing I, absolutely now mm -hmm. for me i know i'm gonna be shooting right into the ground i'm gonna place my shot if they're that close let's place it let's let them get near my feet i'm gonna shoot into the ground but yep. for a youngster or for a new people let's bring this back for new people right uh one sight plane matters but two uh what's there on the side of caution okay um that's a good practice yeah and i've been guilty of of shooting game when i haven't and i have not been invited back to some things and i was young and i was stupid was i unsafe i don't think i was unsafe but what i did just was kind of like hey man and and i think i don't honestly think everybody that's super eager has done this and uh just teaching people that i mean it's okay not to take the shot Mm-hmm. absolutely yep the uh we're getting down here to the last two things in here, and that is, we've touched on this just a little tiny bit because rather than spending thousands and thousands of dollars on guns the way all my famous 
authors I read would have convinced you. And I'll, I'll name a few of those. Steve Smith and Gene Hill are known for writing stories where the sneaking the new trap gun into the house, the new game gun into the house, the new sweet handling little 28 gauge. Really, at a certain point in history, guns were expensive. You bought the best you possibly could. You might even own two someday. But again, you know, you, you had mouths to feed, you had bills to pay, you had, you know, a hard life to live. And if you had a good serviceable gun, you didn't buy a second one. You you bought whatever came out of the catalog and uh, and you ran with it. I have in here, the, the gun you already own is on the list. The best gun to go pheasant hunting with is the gun you already own. Is it overkill for woodcock? Well, I own it and I practiced with it. And yeah, it's my duck gun. It's camo, it's 12 gauge. It, probably has no idea what to do with a lightweight hand load or a target load from Walmart. It'll work. They'll work. I mean, that that's part of the thing of the gun you already own is you don't think you have to have anything special, right? Weight doesn't matter. Balance matters. I keep going back to balance. A heavy gun you can carry. And as long as it balances well, you're not going to notice the weight the way an unbalanced gun will. Some guns, we had one that just weighed really heavy on the barrel end. And it took a pound and a half of lead in the stock to get it to balance over the breech. And it's, this gun, it's the gun that my wife shoots nothing but nearly three inch magnums through. But she doesn't realize she's carrying a seven and three quarter pound gun, even when she woodcock hunts with her duck gun, because, well... Balancing on that breech face is right between her hands, and it works. It shoots well. She shoots it well. Of course, the bead fell off because she's not using the bead. There you go. She probably doesn't know where the barrel is either. She probably isn't. Well, no, because if it's not in exactly where her glasses are, she can't see it anyway. It's all a blur. But no. Wear, the, wear glasses. Well, you just said, wear yeah. glasses when you hunt, folks, because the last thing, <laughs> oh. if it isn't a sapling that's snapping you in the face, it's a piece of shot bouncing off a tree. It's. Lose a $600 contact. Well, 300 because they come in a set, right? <laughs> I, Have a branch drop uh, one of my wife's yeah. contacts into the snow. <laughs> <laughs> Safety glasses are a must. Let's, oh. Yeah, let's go back to the new guy. Buy the gun that you can afford, okay, and wear safety glasses so you come home with both your eyes. That's uh, I did. I've done that. It, whether whether or not they're sometimes I'll just wear full wrap um, sunglasses. They're not as safe as uh, actual safety glasses. Uh, sometimes I wear my safety glasses, but wear something and protect yourself, and and I think you'd be all right. How about you wrap us up here? Go through half a dozen or so, uh, what we call used rack bargains. Uh, let's see. Right now I'm shooting. Um, all right, so I don't have anything nice. Um, I bought a $900 Browning Satori. It's a 1981 Long Tang. Um, had, the, had the chokes reamed out by a friend. Um, and then I shoot, I pretty much shoot that at all the, my clay pigeons and a little bit of hunting. Um, and like I said before, uh, 
you know, some people say, hey, 900 bucks. It, you can't buy a whole lot for under five that's going to be reliable. So buy something that's reliable, something that hasn't been beat up. Look on the used rack. Uh, 1187s by Remington. Um, fixed barrel 1100s. Um, I currently shoot, I know this is going to be crazy for some people. Um, I shoot a TriStar Viper in bronze in 20 gauge. I bought it with a five year warranty. Uh, I think at the time they just came out, they were $530, right? And I said, well, I'm going to use this warranty. I'm going to break this gun. And I shot it for probably three years straight. I shot clay pigeons and I hunted with it. I've yet to wear anything out on it. I know, I know it's Turkish junk. I get it. I've taken a lot of crap for that, but I've also, I've shot a lot of animals for bargain price. Um, I've shot a lot of, I've owned three Winchester 1400s and you can pick those up for about 200 bucks. And sometimes, yeah, you got to buy some parts from, um, there's an, I can't remember. It's, it's not Midway. It's uh, Midwest Gunworks. They have factory parts for all those guns. Um, they're a little bit on the heavy side. They make 12s and 20s. Um, Winchester Rangers are another iteration of that gun. Um, man, that one I sold your wife, I wish I probably would have never sold. It's Foley, a hell of a gun. <laughs> Foley Shadow Grass Camouflage Winchester 1300 Speed Pump. It's probably the fastest pump I've ever owned. That's called the Speed Pump for a reason. It You hit the button and that thing drops back. It was uh, 320 some bucks, brand new. Gander Mountain was closing up. It would, it'll do anything. And and so for anyone that's like, hey, you know, I guess this podcast is from coming from a kid that, that we didn't grow up with a whole lot of that uh, fancy stuff. and But we still had opportunities. And we were shooting turkeys with whatever gun we could get. We were rabbit hunting with single shots. We were doing... The point is find something of quality. And if you need to go to a gun club and ask some questions or find a guy that does what you want them what you want to go do and ask some questions and find something that's reasonable so that you're not wearing four grand worth of crap when you go out there um but you can get out there i think that's what bird camp is about it's about gathering whoever and whatever and going out and experiencing something (laughs) that most people in life um they ride their bike to the beach when they grow up or they you know they yeah they play soccer they play intramural softball and they've never experienced half the cool crap that Michigan has to offer and and I'm not even saying hunting I'm saying fishing I'm saying camping um, you don't need a hundred thousand dollar fifth wheel to go camping and I guess part of this is find something that's reliable do some research read maybe stay off Facebook Read some articles. Unless you're following the Bird Camp podcast. Unless, yeah, and and and, and <laughs> look, I, I'm not trying to be a know-it-all. No. I'm just trying to be. I'm the basic guy, right? So, do things that, when you're all said and done, you're not going to feel bad that you spent your kids' college tuition, or maybe you know what? If you have all that money, dude, more power to you. And we all advance, and we get more money as we get careers. And I'm not going to cast any shade on anybody that has nice things that's not the thing most people nowadays in the economy that we're living in and they want to experience something but they don't want to commit to it 
Mm-hmm. So, uh, so Wal- an old SKB Walmart. auto or <laughs> SKB, dude, the the old nine hundreds, the yeah. Uh, um, the thirty sevens were always in a used rack somewhere. I steer away from white light pumps, and I would would more or less like a new shooter to be in an automatic. But yeah. there, there's a lot of that. But there was a girl that just came on our on our team, and a coworker had um. Was it a seven hundred Ithaca SKB? Didn't have a ventilated rib, but they were like, "Hey, it's cheap. It's an automatic. It's not gonna beat her up." Yep. They took that thing to a saw and jacked it all the way around so it fit her good and got her eye dominance <laughs> in the, and now she's breaking targets i mean she doesn't even have a driver's license yet she's breaking targets she's having a great time we got her into the sport her mom and dad are ecstatic they didn't have to drop cash out you know hand up hand and tons of money over and she's having a great time now you know, and going back to the hunting, they will they will have to drop tons well, of cash. And, and eventually, they. I mean, look, shooting isn't cheap, but no. let's let's negate that by. Neither's travel soccer either. So know, I had a I had a coworker. No. I went and shot with him. He's he had a synthetic, eleven hundred or eleven eighty seven, pulled it out of the case. We shot it. Three three four guys shot it on Friday. Put it back in the case. He's like, I'm gonna go home and clean it. I haven't shot it in seven years. You know, it didn't cost him a whole lot. But it's there. It's light. It's dependable. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's I, I guess you just read so much on like you gotta have and you gotta have. You like what you need to do is get outside. What you need to do is experience some things. Keep your eyes open. Learn your woodsmanship. Have fun. Um, yeah. Stop <laughs> reading. Put the magazines down. And go talk to that old guy. You know. You're going to learn more with the old guy, too. You may learn some of the stuff wrong, but you're going to learn a lot right. And in the end, he's going to say, yeah, there was this time when we were shooting over at the club and so-and-so's gun kept messing up, and you're going to be like, check, not that gun. Not that one. That is not quality. I do not. Yep. And like then, I said, I shoot a Turkish gun, and it's never failed. I've been waiting to figure out what parts are going to wear out. I've yet to wear I mean, cry. Cross your fingers. I mean, there's a lot of junk out there. I will fully acknowledge there is a lot of there's junk. There's a lot of junk in, in um, 870 Express. Oh, oh, sort of fell out. I Sorry. won't ever shoot oh. one of those ever again. I, just I, won't, don't. I won't knock Grandpa's Wingmaster because <laughs> that was a heck of a gun. But right. those new ones, um, oh, goodness. And everything has its place. Are you going to go win a tournament with a 870? Probably not. Um but we've seen guys at the club run those old wingmasters, and they pump butter there's smooth. There's always that guy at the but club, right? Man, but, I, but that's practice overspending money. You buy the shells, you don't buy a new gun. They didn't shoot those 870s when they were shooting registered tournaments, because I know those guys. I know all the guys you're talking about. They do that for funsies. So, well, of course. Well, we all do this for fun. Right. If you're doing registered targets, you have no time for grouse hunting I, and dogs I've and stuff. I've seen their registered tournament guns, and <laughs> they're not 870s. But what what we're getting yeah. at is anybody can grab an 870, and when <laughs> it falls in the river or Lake Huron or a stream or gets muddy, you don't cry. You have a little bit extra. True. Say you didn't buy a $2,000 shotgun and you bought an 870, and you could afford to feed a bird dog now. You True. could afford to feed a beagle, and now you have just upped your chances of being successful in the hunt. 
are you gonna look super cool? Well, are we are we all about looking super cool? Or are we about the experience? Of, You're talking to a guy who wears a tie and a shirt. Yeah, 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 in yeah, the woods. yeah, yeah. And I'm the guy that wears Goodwill clothes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so and fill some chaps, there's folks. A, well, He's, He's, hey, there's quality. What I say, you gotta buy quality. Sometimes you gotta buy quality because those are 15 year old chaps. I would not buy another brand new pair of Filsons. I I don't know. 15 years into it, you've got your money's worth. I have heard that the company, and this is maybe hearsay or whatever. I heard that the company is not putting out the quality that they used to. So for me to hear that from the people that have been very loyal Filson customers, say I bought a brand new pair of chaps and they're crap. Uh, I don't know if a hundred bucks for a pair of chaps is worth it. One hundred and twenty-five if they're not the same that they used to be. So yeah, I, I, being a hound's guy, I'll just go buy a pair of actual hound chaps or bibs or you know, there's there's a lot of really. <laughs> we could get into a qu- that kind of just let's talk chaps. Oh, I mean, holy cow, we could spend an hour on all the amazing brands that you have never heard one bad thing about. And so to but hear maybe that... I've uh, only heard one bad thing about the brand I have, and that's that the guy died, the company went out of business, <laughs> right. and I can never replace them ha- later. Some of that oh. happens. Of course, know? now that I have a German dog, I have a, a flush on command, so I don't have to technically walk in there anymore. Yeah. Uh. So, you know, knowing what you do, if you want yeah. to get, a, get away with a pair of $30 chaps, you're not running through the thorns, you know... Um, but chaps is a whole different topic for a whole different social media conversation. It is. It we're is. we're talking about simply only the best grouse gun available. My my chap my pants that I wear uh, I think are made from the forties. You're holding your filsons. My oh no, what I wear underneath my filsons oh. was a bargain buy that Dad got somewhere at some resale shop. Yeah, there's nothing wrong They're, with bargain buys. There's because you're gonna trash canvas, them anyway. Thick oh. canvas, some yeah, yeah. The, that's a garage sale special or something. Some old coot died. Shoot, man, probably I wore died those. in those pants, and then they sold them to you at the garage sale. I probably wore those pants for seven years. They're getting pretty ratty now. Oh. But what, I want he looked like a lumberjack you, too, because he had knee-high <laughs> snake boots with him too. He looked like Paul Bunyan. I love those. that's another thing you could talk boots for an hour. I don't know how long we've been rambling. We're, we're at an hour yeah. and a half, so we're not going to get into boots. You better edit theater. all this down to what? the Oh, no, basics. no. We, we are as advertised. Yeah. This is a so. grouse camp conversation somewhere in the middle of Lowell. If you've never put on a pair of uh, couple pair of bread bags on your feet and walked around in crappy boots, you need to, and then go buy yourself a then nice pair of boots <laughs> to appreciate... What a nice pair of boots is. Oh, there's nothing like hillbilly on the left and Wonder Bread on the right. <laughs> oh, yeah. And somehow, I'll still bury myself up to my knees and your feet are getting wet regardless. Yep. It's um, when the grouse that you shot goes down across a beaver pond, and the beaver pond's rather long but not too deep, you go across the beaver pond. And that, or the or the river. Or it, depends on the do- it depends on the dog now. I got a dog that'll take well, hand signals. That's you clearly the, weren't with Drummond at the time. I've been with... <laughs> You've been with Drummond. I know we didn't shoot as many birds either. The, well. well, it goes back to, okay, yeah. buy, buy this maybe the cheaper gun. If you're not going to shoot clays every week, get away with shooting a gun that's going to last 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 shells, and maybe get a pair of decent boots or invest in a, in a decent um, pouch or... You know, and, and make sure that you're outfitted 
Yeah. Screw well, yeah. the thousand dollar earplugs, okay? If you're just um, look earplugs. Well, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, you can't hear the wing beats if you're wearing earplugs. You can't. But, you can't hear um, the dog bell. <laughs> you, you can't hear your. You can't hear your buddy going. Why'd you shoot me? You, you can't hear any of those things with earplugs in. Uh, right. So Ugh. I guess that's the message I've been rambling on about. <laughs> <sighs> now I would love to see more people out and like you know side by sides that are. Yeah. More expensive than my truck. Right. Because, well, I think they're cool, but yeah, you know, the the beginner there, I don't care if it's an old A5 Light 12, because actually, if you can get one of those that fits, the Light yeah. 12 is kind of a nice gun. On my best buddy. Sweet had 16 a, is kind of nice too, though. He had a Remington Sportsman and 16 gauge. That was his upland gun. Does that forever. come with a cup of tea that you hold your pinky out with for the 16 nope, gauge? That was Uncle Floyd's, and really, and and that's what he had until he bought some nicer stuff. But he could kill everything with that. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, it wasn't the greatest, no. But it was passed down, and it's what he had. And he learned how to shoot it. And, you know, yeah, he had he had money for gas at the end of the day. <laughs> so, you know. Remember that old, there was a, well, who, know, who cares if people are woke? There's the old black hunter. We were we were rabbit hunting one day over at the gravel pits. I know pits, exactly what you're right? talking about. And that guy had an old humpback. Turned out to be 16 gauge. We come over, said hi, wanted to talk a little bit. And uh, and he it was the two of the fastest shots I think we had ever heard together. Like, that's got to be like an over-under or something. And no, it turned out to be this browning sweet 16. He's got two cottontails, no dog. Nope, I got these. And you're like, man, really? He's like, yep. And and that night was gonna be fried rabbits with a, with a onion and garlic. I believe we had one rabbit. We were like, we don't want to. Would you like if you're gonna clean them? Would you like another? Although you know, and, and he took it. Yes. And that's kind of the thing. That's probably the only. That might be one of the only guns that old guy probably ever owned. Right. And just if, judging and if by the generation he was a part of, they didn't go buy a bunch of guns. Right. And, and that was, he was out there, and he was goodness. having fun. He was. And he wasn't a professional, and he didn't have a camera crew, and he wasn't on Instagram. He was out there for the absolute love of being out there. Oh, goodness. So, I still remember just those two shots, because it was, bap, bap, and you're yeah. like, huh. Yeah. Next thing you know, here he come, two rabbits, going back to his car. Had enough. Kind of want, That made me kind of want one of those guns for a while, too. You ever shoot one? Yeah, they they make the neatest stuff. Any of those old humpbacks with the recoiling barrel? Whether I hate it's a, the two what, pe- the two the, sequence recoil situation. If you ever want to hear through your earplugs, ka chunk, <laughs> and then then the bolt goes forward, and then there's the other chunk at the end. That's that is a Browning A5. That's an AL48. That's all of those. That, even a little bit that old Winchester 1400 does that ka chunk, and you're like, I wonder if yeah yeah it's reloaded. Man, that's a long time. It's only a tenth of a second or less. I mean, there's no way you're going to outspeed the trigger on that bolt. Mm-hmm. But your brain knows that it came back, paused, and then came forward. And, oh, yeah, it is it is a weird sound if you're used to a modern gun and then you go shoot an A5. Right. But then again, they don't kick that much, too, because it's trying to move a two-pound barrel. <laughs> I did. I did not like. I mean, the, you, it's definitely something that you Golly. gotta like. Shoot and skeet with it. They they beat. You shot sporting glaze with one of the Model Eleven. And they beat you up. They do. And that then that recoil. Gun. 
if you're shooting close pairs, you get that first bang, and then you go to move to the second target, and the barrel's clanking <laughs> back and forth, and you're just like, you know, for the money, I think I could do better than this. Oh, you know, goodness, uh, I mean, the market hunter sure did a number on the ducks with those guns, right. though. I would. Steer I think somebody. it's mainly the Indian instead of the arrow at that point. Well, I would steer somebody clear. Yeah, I still kicked all your butts, but was that a gun that I would want to shoot every weekend? You didn't. No. You didn't beat old Wayne with that gun. Wayne was laughing as I was trouncing the hole in your butt what? with that pickle joke. <laughs> Wayne didn't even so, shoot that day. Did he shoot? No, no, he did. He was shooting that Extrema. He didn't beat me. Not with that what? old Savage Seven Twenty. That was a Savage Seven Twenty. It said U.S. Military on the side of it. And you guys gave it to it me like thinking that it was a piece of crap. Brick. Which it was kind of a piece it of crap. It was a pile of crap. But it fit me. <laughs> I got schooled that day. But Schooled? I, I think your definition of school. I think you were buying bit. drinks, not me. So Fine. it's my story. I've been buying the drinks tonight. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, I think we rambled on enough. I think we, I think we've camp talked this one more classically than normal. Let's look at my notes. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing really left to argue on here because I've been right the whole night. Oh, all right. Jeez. Jeez. He probably didn't mention in the used rack bargains the Remington 17, no. the precursor of the 37. No. Beautiful butter smooth pump, lightweight. So a little you, whippy. You got to keep your form good. It bottom eject. I mean, it's perfect for a left-handed kid like the two of mine. Just on, on the other hand, I've only ever seen one in a used rack, which tells me they never get resold. So you got to have like an entire generation die off before you clear, see one. Steer clear of obscure things. That's. I mean, look at it was a beautiful. You're in this back I, too. I wish I'd have bought that. We could get to the you know. Me and you pick something. Notes. Me and you pick something up on the user act. Like, oh, I know exactly what this is, and how it works, and where it came from, and all the stuff. But no, I wouldn't buy something that is so old that all the balloons wore off it. And yeah, I mean they're nostalgic. They work. Yeah, blah, yeah. Blah, blah. You should but have good bluing because you're gonna take it in the woods, right. so and it needs to be durable. And the protective finish called the bluing should really be on the gun. Right. But all right, I mean, so man, but I'm gonna throw man. one one more out. All like, right, throw one okay, more. Okay, I would steer clear of pump guns, and uh, of that vintage. Okay, and I would say, look, what if what if there's a one of those Stoger automatics sitting there? They're not a Benelli. We're not gonna preach that. What if you get pick one of them up for a couple hundred bucks? They probably weigh a little bit more than that Stoger that that Savage Eleven you shot that night. I mean, I don't know. They're they're newer. They're yeah, they're newer. Reliable. I'd, and maybe I don't know. I don't. You're probably gonna get the bang for your buck. Right. And then when you break it, when it you'll breaks. know more about what you want in a gun, and the next gun will be an upgrade. Correct. Yes. I think that's a good word to wisdom. All right. So, start cheap, break it at the gun club, <laughs> and then turn around and get the next one. Yeah. There ain't a gun that doesn't break that can't be fixed. Well, I mean, some of the best ways to fix them are toss them into a beaver creek and go get another <laughs> right. one. Right, that's a fix, That's though. a fix. We're well, moving on. Don't, uh, don't do that. The PD will wonder how this gun got here and then wonder if there's a body to go with it. So don't do that either. But, yeah, I mean, really it comes down to, in the end, it's the gun you own, it's the boots you own, it's the toughest pair of pants you own. Get out hunting. And the get cheapest bird outside. dog is, of course, 
the cheapest bird to hug is always your buddies. Right. Hey, <laughs> give them some gas money and learn and yeah. and uh, be willing to buy dinner. So the best grouse gun is a loaded one. The best yeah. shell is the one you already bought. The best barrel length we we stayed away from barrel length. That's right. Let's leave that one. Let's leave that one. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, there's nothing good's going to come out of that. <laughs> anyway, thanks again for listening. And of course, you know, it's a slow July when I got assistant coach Andy on. <laughs> and uh, well, everyone, of course, we're looking forward to cooler temperatures. Have a good one. Mm, welcome, welcome. Uh, where you're talking in this very monologuish type voice trying to be super serious and nostalgic about stuff most people don't care about streams and rivers and blah 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 cigar smoke and sunsets and whiskey bisky this is Joe Schwenke you're more than welcome around my table with <laughs> <laughs>